faith, worship, obedience, favor, grace, provision, pride, stubbornness, judgment. From faithfulness to infidelity. From blessings to justice. Rudderless man falling and failing. Timeless God correcting and redeeming. An aimless generation repeating a cycle of rebellion and repentance. An unchanging God always giving his best, providing restoration. Judges and kings. you a Samson? Let me ask you this question. What is your highest value in life? In other words, what is really most important to you? What goes into you making the decisions that you make in, that you make each day? What influences you most greatly? We live in a culture that I would call a hedonistic culture. Hedonism simply means this. It's, a, it's an ancient term. It's the pursuit of pleasure. And when I turn on the television, or if I watch a movie, if I turn on the radio, if I see a billboard or a magazine, about 90% of the time, it's going to be about pleasure or the pursuit of pleasure. You can have a cookie. You deserve it. You deserve a break today, so get up and get away. <laughs> Whatever the place may be, and those are the light ones. We're not talking about some that would be not as appropriate to share. We look at pornography, and uh, that is a multi-billion, billion-dollar business based upon the philosophy of hedonism, that what I want and what I'd like to have is the greatest value of all. Me being happy, me getting what I want, me being free to do whatever I want, that's the highest value for our culture. And unfortunately, we find ourselves slipping into that culture. And that's exactly what was transpiring in the nation of Israel during the time of the judges, particularly Samson, as we will look at today. And we have to ask ourselves, are we becoming a Samson nation? Are we becoming a Samson people? where our utmost value is getting what we want and getting pleasure and abstaining from pain. If you have your Bibles, look with me at the book of Judges, beginning with the 13th chapter, and we see the cycles that we've talked about. What's the cycle? Well, God, we, it's, the big gospel story is God created mankind. We, we rebelled, we fell. Then Christ came and redeemed us, and then there's restoration between us and God Almighty. And you see this theme kind of in Samson. God has given the people of Israel. He is their blessed people. He is their elect people. They are to, to be the light to all the other worlds and nations, to be the missionaries, so to speak. And the problem is, is they keep falling away from God. They fall away, and they start pursuing pleasure. They start pursuing what they want. 
They find themselves with pagan gods, probably in a, a synchronistic fashion where they still say, there's a Yahweh, but this religion, th- this God is a geographical or a local God, and boy, there's a lot of pleasure that comes with him. And so they fall into that mindset, and they break the covenant that they had with God, and so God withholds his protection. You see the enemies come in, they, they begin to rule over and oppress them, and then at some point they cry out to God, they repent, uh, and God sends a judge, delivers them, and then they're restored. And you see this cycle over and over and over again, and that leads to this first verse that we see right here in chapter 13, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, what's interesting about the Philistines here is we know a lot of the other nations that they've already dealt with, the Midianites, the Amorites, um, multiple other, uh, the Moabites. They've already dealt with people who've really come in and they've been very cruel. Uh, They've either tried to exterminate them or they've come in and killed them, taken off their children, taken off their women, taken all their crops, and really have no interest in in them surviving at all. But the Philistines kind of take a different approach, and they'll be around long term because The way they do it is they come in and they establish authority, but then they say, you know, we'd love for you to just stay here and you can even intermingle in our our culture and uh, there'll be some tributes that you need to pay and you'll have to recognize your spot. We're the rulers, we're the authorities, but you're you're free to live and we would like to prosper from your economics and from uh, your buying and selling. And and matter of fact, you're welcome to come and marry into our people. And the philosophy was that they would marry in and they would absorb those cultures. And that's exactly what the Babylonians were trying to do to when you look up one day and that culture doesn't exist. It's called acculturation. Uh, There's a kind of a sociological term that's used. And so we see in this particular instance that Samson, when Samson is the judge and before he's the judge, the people aren't really crying out yet. They're not crying out because they're saying, well, yeah, this is not how we'd like things, but it's not so bad. And there's some, you know, there's some perks. I mean, particularly their churches are working real well. We like their church when we go to their church because, I mean, it talks a lot about health, wealth, and prosperity and, and doing some other things that well, we probably can't say in church. And that's, boy, that's really, really good stuff there. And so we like visiting their church sometimes too. That's a good one. That's a good religion. And they start to assimilate in there. They start to marry into it. If They start to have children, and pretty soon... That light, that nation that's supposed to be a light to the Gentiles has become a Gentile nation. So God is recognizing this, and God is sending Samson, what? To deliver the people from the Philistines, even though they're not crying about it yet, all right? So that's what's going on, and it's because of their pagan belief system, because their pagan faith, because they are pulling them away from God Almighty. So God, in his infinite mercy, will send Samson. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. Now, anytime you see in Scripture where the Scripture says, and the wife was barren, that doesn't mean that she just hasn't had a child. That means that she is beyond childbearing years. So we'll see that. We've seen that story with Sarah. We saw that story with Rachel. You see that with John the Baptist's wife, Elizabeth. So she is beyond that time of which she could have children. And the angel of the Lord, whom we talked about, many uh, theologians would say this is a Christophany. This is, a, uh, this is Jesus coming in the form of an angel. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son, just like Sarah did, just like Rachel did, just like Elizabeth would. And so uh, the next verse here we see, um, no, actually, 
There we go. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So what do we see here? We see that, all right, here's the, here's the story. And by the way, we don't know her name. Uh, I know in First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 3, uh, some of the rabbis say that her name was uh, Zophanala, but nobody names their kid that anymore, and so it's not a name we're familiar with. But whatever the, the situation was, uh, we know this, that Samson was born for such a time as this, and God has divinely appointed him to be a deliverer, to be a judge. And that's what a judge was. It wasn't so much that he was the judicial judge as much as he was the leader of the nation, usually a, uh, a military leader. And so that's the judge. And he is, going to, he is supposed to throw off the oppression of the Philistines. And so that's what we have here. And that's why he's been born. And uh, the angel says, here's the deal. I want you to know he's going to be a Nazarite. From birth. Now, some people were Nazarites for short period of times, maybe for 40 days or for, for a few months or for even a year. For some, some reason, they would take the Nazarite vow, but there were some who were Nazarites for life. Uh, John the Baptist and, of course, uh, Samson, supposed to be uh, the, the, the main examples of that. That they're Nazarites for life, they are dedicated to God, to be used by God, set apart. And they will be recognized because they will not cut their hair. They have the dietary restrictions and even more dietary restrictions than the average Jew. And they can never touch a dead body. And so that is reiterated to him. And then later to her husband, uh, it's reiterated again. And they recognize that they've had an experience with God. And at that point, uh, they ha- later they have Samson, which means son, uh, interestingly enough. And he is to be the judge. He is to be the one who delivers Israel. Except for Israel's not trying real hard to be delivered right now. So Samson grows up. And he grows up amongst a a group of people who are very much participating in a hedonistic form of life. Of it feels good, do do it. Whatever freedom, freedom to do what you want is the highest value in life. But that's not what Scripture teaches. That's not what the Torah teaches. We are to love the Lord thy God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And we are to bring honor and glorify and glory, glory to him. And that is the highest value. That's the value from which we live. And everything else trickles down. But when you don't have that, then you do what the book of Judges says over and over again. And everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Everybody decided what was right for them. Sound familiar in our culture today? Well, as we continue, Samson grows up. And the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. So the Holy Spirit has come upon him to make him strong and to make him mighty. And some of that must go to his head because we see him, first of all, not keeping his vows. Not the vow to not drink and certainly not the vow we'll see in a little while to not touch a dead body. Because at first he goes into Philistine territory, Samson does, and he sees a woman and he's attracted to her. And he comes back and he tells his parents, go get her for me. That's who I want to marry. And they say, Samson, don't do this. Don't you have a tribe? We have our own tribe. We have our own nation. Marry within our nation. There are plenty of good Hebrew girls. And Samson doesn't care. 
God had forbidden them from marrying outside the nation because remember, they are elect people. They are to be the demonstration of the glory of God to the rest of the nations. And just for this reason, he did not want them to become corrupted with other religions so they could live side by side or they could live along but not inside. So they were to to marry one another, but they don't do that. It had nothing to do with race. It had everything to do with faith. And so what does Tamson do? He doesn't care. He says, I want what I want. Woody Allen once made that uh, comment. Um, The heart wants what the heart wants uh, to justify his relationship uh, to a young girl that was less than half his age. But I digress. Continue on here. Um, And Samson just lets his parents know this is what I'm going to do. So he's going down to Timah where she lives one day in Philistine territory. And he's going past a vineyard, which he obviously shouldn't have been close to either. And a lion jumps out. But before that lion can do anything, Samson tears it apart and kills it. Well, on the way back, he notices that lion again. And he's on his way to Tenma again. And now it's the carcass of a lion. And, and bees have come. And they've set up a, a honeycomb there. And there's honey. So he takes that honeycomb. And he takes it. He begins to eat it. And when he sees his parents, he gives it some of it to them. And, and now it's wedding celebration time. He's going to marry this woman. It's a seven-day process. And uh, her, her father has brought in 30 other Philistines to be a part of his wedding party. I'm sure he was excited about picking those guys out. And so they've come to be a part of his wedding party, and they start to kind of jab and talk to him. I mean, it's Samson, the great warrior leader. They have a fear of him, but their goal in life is to take him down. And Samson knows this. He's listening to their comments, and he says, Hey, you sharp, smart, young Philistine guys, there's 30 of you. There's one of me. Hey, I've got a little riddle. This Hebrew has a little riddle. If you can answer this riddle, I'll give you 30 changes of clothes and 30 garments. And uh, if you can't, then you give me 30 changes of clothes. And they think, well, 30 on one? I'm sure we can figure out this little riddle this Hebrew has. They said, what is it? And he goes, out of the eater comes something to eat, and out of the strong comes something sweet. Out of the eater comes something to eat, and out of the strong comes something sweet. Of course, he's referring to the lion that he had killed and the honey that was there when he came by the next time. And so he begins the process of recognizing they're not going to ever solve this. Nobody knows this. And after three days of guessing, they can't guess it. On the fourth day, they go to the woman and they tell her, tell me the answer. Tell us the answer to his riddle. Have you brought us here to make us poor? She goes, I don't know. I have no idea. I, I can't find out. She goes, if you don't find out, we will kill you and your father. We will burn your house down with you in it. And so she goes and she pleads and she begs and she cries. And finally, Samson relents and he tells her the answer. It's the lion and it's honey. So on the seventh day, the day that they are to be married, the Philistines come and go, Samson, we think we've solved your riddle. What is stronger than the lion? What is sweeter than honey? And Samson fumes with anger. He knows his wife-to-be has told them. And he, all, he, he says this, and, and young man, I encourage you to never use this phrase with your girlfriend, wife, or another woman. He said, had you not plowed with my heifer, you would not have known the answer. Uh, probably not really encouraging at that moment. We'll just strike that one from our remarks. But he becomes so angry, he goes to the next town, which is Ashkelon, and he kills 30 Philistines, and he takes their garments, and he brings them. But he's still so angry, even though it's, it's time for the wedding, 
that he stomps off and goes home and leaves in an angry huff and leaves the whole wedding party there. Well, father-in-law, he's spent this money. Everybody's over. He picks one of those other guys, and his daughter marries her. So about a week later, Samson comes back. He's had a change of heart. He's ready for his wife. Where's my wife? I'm ready. I'm ready for her. And the father says, I'm sorry. You left. You were so angry. You were saying ugly things about her. I thought you hated her. So I gave her to one of the other guys. Now, Samson's really mad. And the father tried to make things better, which, you know, you can imagine if you were a teenage girl back then. Look, I, she has a younger sister. She's beautiful. Would you like to take her? But Samson is so furious, he can't stand it. He gets so angry, and he decides that he will take, uh, he goes and captures uh, a group of foxes or jackals. We're not sure certainly what it was, but he finds a group of them. He captures them, and he ties their tail uh, with a torch and sends them into the grain fields, and it burns the fields of the Philistines. And afterwards, the Philistines came and said, who did this? Who did all this? And he said, it was Samson. And so they were so angry at Samson that uh, they went and they uh, killed his would-have-been wife-to-be and her father-in-law and um, burned them to death in their house. Samson finds out about this, and he's so mad, he goes and he kills all those guys. Kills all 30 of them and maybe even more. Well, now it's swelling up the ranks, and the Philistines have had enough. Samson leaves, and he goes to Edom where there's a cave, and he gets there, and he's hanging out there. And the Philistines come and they camp out outside of Judah. They're in a military strategic position ready to go to war. And the men of Judah come out and they go, what's going on? Uh, why, why are you doing this? They said, because of Samson, because of the number of Philistines that he's killed and because of the irreparable harm that he's brought to our people. And they said, well, we'll, we'll just give him for, to, to you. And they said, if you don't get him and bring him to him, then we're going to attack. So 3,000 men from Judah go up to get Samson from the cave. And when they get there, they go, Samson, you're going to need to come with us. He said, I'll come with you, but only if you promise not to kill me. And so we see at this point, we see the foreshadowing of Christ, the ultimate deliverer. Christ who will be the deliverer, the perfect deliverer, the perfect savior. Samson, who is an extremely flawed deliverer, what do we see? We see that his birth was announced, just like Christ. We see that he was brought about to be a deliverer for his people. We see that his own people turn him over to the Gentiles. The Gentiles who would seek to kill him, and they, they bind him and bring him to the enemy. But when Samson gets before them, he breaks the, the ropes that are upon his hand, and he kills a thousand Philistines. From that point forward, the Bible says there's 20 years of peace. Samson rules, and the Philistines don't dare stand against him. But they're always looking for a way to get back at him. So the people are living in somewhat harmony even though Samson is still not leading them away from the Philistines, even though Samson is not leading them to drive out the Philistines, they just live kind of together for the next 20 years without a lot as far as history is concerned. But after 20 years, Samson's old addiction comes back. He goes into a Philistine territory, into Gaza, and he gets there into the city, and he finds a prostitute, and later he finds a woman named Delilah, that name Delilah. How many of you named your children Delilah? Don't raise your hand on that, okay? <laughs> Delilah. And Delilah is 
uh, someone that he's extremely attracted to. And so he begins to spend much time with her. He begins to live with her in the breaking of his vows once again. And the Bible says that the Philistines came to her and they said, Look, Delilah, we know that you're Samson's girlfriend. And you probably have heard what happened before uh, with his last girl, Philistine girlfriend. But here, we're going to make a deal with you. There were five major cities where the Philistines lived. And there was, were five king-type figures, five leaders. And they all came together and said, look, Delilah, we'll give you 1,100 pieces of silver each if you will find out the source of, of Samson's strength and allow us to capture or kill him. So she finally agrees to that. And so she begins to ask Samson, Samson, what is the great source of your strength? Where is your power? How, how could your power stop to ex- exist? And by the way, you know where his power is coming from? From God Almighty. The Bible said the Spirit of God had come upon him. It's the Holy Spirit that is supernaturally empowering him, gifting him. It's a spiritual gift, so to speak. It's a supernatural gift that he's been given. Uh, so his, his supernatural strength is not in his hair, but in his God. But he never says that, you'll notice. He never says to God. He says, well, uh, if you tie my hands up with new cords, um, then I wouldn't be able to get loose, and that would subdue my powers. And so she ties his hands up, and just so happens some Philistine guys are walking by, some soldiers are walking by. Philistines, uh, Samson, Philistines are coming. He snaps those cords, goes over, beats them up, and comes back. Uh, well, the next day, she goes, why did you not tell me the truth? Just tell me the truth. I just wanted to know. Uh, just please, if, if, if you love me, just tell me. And she said, well, if you tie my hands up with new ropes, then I wouldn't be able to get away from that. So she ties him up with new ropes. Samson, there's some Philistines coming by. I don't know why they're coming here. Would you get up and check on them? And he pops the ropes and whips them. And then the next day she's going, Samson, I feel like you're just making a fool of me. I, I know those Philistines just happened to show up those two times, but I'm just wondering if you would just love me enough. If you really, really love me, would you just tell me, what is the source of your strength? And Samson said, well, if you braid my hair into seven locks, then uh, that would be it. That would, that would take care of my power. And so she, you know, sure, he, sure enough, he must have had enough to drink. He passes out. She braids his hair. And there's some Philistine soldiers that just happen to be walking. Samson, those same soldiers keep coming back. They're upon us. He jumps up, whips them. And now she's really mad. She goes, you know what? You don't love me. By the way, uh, anytime you hear that, uh, that's usually not a motive of love. You don't love me, Samson. If you loved me, you would tell me the secret. And the Bible says she nagged him day in and day out. And finally, Samson decides to tell her. Now, let's stop right there. You know what I believe? And by the way, there are other scholars. I'm not calling myself a scholar. There are other pastors and scholars uh, that believe this too, that Samson probably didn't really believe, my. if you cut my hair, I won't have strength. Look at this. I mean, he's already broken the first two vows continually. Uh, no strong drink. He's had plenty to drink. Not a dead body. He's killed thousands of people. He's touching dead bodies left and right, touching lines, touching everything. And the hair, you know what? Okay. He is at that point where he thinks, you know, the Spirit of God's upon me. I've been given this gift no matter what. And, um, you know, there's only one original expression I have that I've ever made up that, that was mine that I just made up on my own. It's called Sin Makes You Stupid. And then I found out when I was researching that in 1920 somebody read a, wrote a book with that title. So it kind of really disappointed me. So I've got nothing original. But anyway, I thought it was original. And so I would always use this. Sin makes you stupid. 
you know, you fall into sin and you just keep sinning and you just keep making one stupid decision after other. Next thing you know, you're captured. You know, and I, I talk to men and, and sometimes women, and particularly guys who make bad decisions, whether it's pornography or something else, and they just make decision after decision. And, and I just go, how did you get, that is so stupid. What you're, I know, but it just didn't seem like it, didn't feel like it. I thought I was bigger than that. I thought I had control of this. And it just captured and, and controlled me. And Samson's probably there. I can handle it. I, I'm, the Spirit of God's upon me. I'm strong. There's nothing to be done. They can't stop me. And so he finally just tells her. I think it's really more out of a spirit of arrogance. And so his hair is cut. And what happens again? Samson, the Philistines are upon us. I bet you he sees his hair down there. He jumps up. And he's ready to whip those guys just like he's always done. And But the Bible said, Samson did not realize the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. He had gotten so used to doing things his own way. He had gotten so far removed from, from God. He didn't guard his heart, didn't guard his mind. He had fallen so far away that he didn't even recognize it. And the Philistines easily subdued him. And then uh, a very telling passage of Scripture in uh, the book of Kings, chapter 16, verse 21. The Bible tells us this in uh, Judges 16, 21. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. So what's happened to him because of his sin? Well, we see that he's been blinded. We see that he's been binded. Excuse me, English teachers, for that. Or grinded. I know that's not a word, but it sure rhymes. He's been blinded. He's been binded. He's been grind- now he's grinded. Here's, here's the deal. He's having to grind it out. He's about to grind it out at the mill. He's blind. He's bound. And now he is grounding mill. And they're making fun of him as he does it. Let me tell you this. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. And it will keep you longer than you want to stay. And that's the story of Samson right there. Samson has made unwise choices, and now he's fallen so far that it's cost him his sight, it's cost him his freedom, and it's cost him his integrity. That's the story of Samson at this point. It's a harsh story. Can I tell you this? Almost every month this happens to me. I'll be sitting in my office talking to somebody who's made some horrible decisions, man or woman, a lot of times it's a man, <clears throat> and for whatever reason, they've decided to leave. And maybe I'm talking to the other spouse of the one who's left. And they left the, the spouse, the wife, or the husband, and the children, this beautiful family. They had a home, and they've left. And how does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. Sin blinds you, and then it binds you, and then it begins to grind you. The highest value is no longer God. My faith, the highest value is now my pleasure. My pleasure, what I want, what will make me happy, what I get what I want, I have the freedom to do what I want, that's the highest value. You're in full hedonism mode at that point. And the crazy thing is our culture will affirm it. As believers in Christ Jesus, we must recognize that we are in a war not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities of darkness. That's what's transpiring. And Satan wants to blind us, just like he did Satan, ultimately and literally and certainly spiritually. Well, we do see redemption here. 
because Samson begins to pray. I'm sure he begins to call out to God. And they bring Samson to the pagan temple of Dagon, the Philistines' god. And this is a temple that holds over 3,000 people because the Bible tells us there's over 3,000 rulers and leaders of the Philistine people. Everybody who's anybody is there. And they're there for what? To make fun of Samson and to proclaim Dagon is the superior god over the god of the Israels, over all other gods. That's why they're there. So they're there and they bring Samson out. And they begin to make fun of him. They begin to make sport of him. <clears throat> they begin to mock him. And they begin to talk about the glory of their god, Dagon. <clears throat> Let's go back to that motif of the foreshadowing of Christ. What happened to Jesus? He's handed over. He's, they bind him. They hand him over to the Gentiles. They try him. They mock him. They spit on him. They blindfold him. They make sport of him. They call him the king of the Jews. They lead him up Calvary where his skin is grinding against the cross. They hung him on the cross. They nailed him there and he died as the deliverer of Israel. What happens to Samson? All those same things have happened to Samson. And God, one last time, enables him to put his hands between two pillars. And by the way, in 2012, some archaeological digs found a temple to Dagon in, in that area and they said that there were two pillars. Guess what? That would have been the primarily, primary means of what held that whole structure up. Samson pushes those two pillars apart, and 3,000 leaders, uh, leaders and rulers of the Philistines die. And we see peace for a while. Samson delivers in a sense that he never could in his life through his death. What happened with Jesus? In his death, he delivered us from our sins. So when we look at Samson's life, how could someone with so much and so much opportunity, so much strength, so much gifting, how did that happen? Well, I think there's four things that we need to learn to make sure that we don't become Samson's ourselves. We, living in North America, living in Denton County, blessed beyond measure, can be the same thing when we have these constant, mes these constant messages being sent to us. Number one if we fail to honor our commitments to God, that he is our God and our Lord, and that we honor him in worship with all that we have, everything that we have, all our money, all our possessions, everything that we have is his and for his glory and for his use. And we make our commitment to serve him and serve him alone. When we don't guard our hearts and minds and we begin to look at things and we begin to go places and see things that are not pure and begin to cloud our minds and our hearts and our judgment, when we make the pursuit of pleasure, I deserve it. I just want to have this, and I'll pay whatever cost it is so that I can have what I want. And number four, we waste our capacity. You think of all the capacity that Samson had to lead, the capacity he could have led his nation into one of the strongest points of their history, but he chose to pursue his flesh, to pursue pleasure and therefore forfeited his life and forfeited so much more that he could have done. What a legacy. You, talk, you don't think young boys followed him and wanted to emulate him? You know, I think back to my own life, and there are two men early in my ministry that really made an impact on my life. One was a guy named Bobby Moore. He was an evangelist. He was one of the most gifted speakers I'd ever heard. 
And uh, he began to talk to me, and I told him I was praying about ministry, and he would take me on. He would take me when he would go to preach. He would visit with me. He helped me immensely, and just was kind of a hero of my faith. And uh, then there was another guy. His name was Earl Clay Hillman. And when I first met Earl, I was going out with his daughter, <clears throat> and he wasn't even attending church. He had been a pastor before, but he'd had a bad church experience, and had just quit doing church, and was kind of waiting to die, and really was not trying at all. And uh, some people began, and some family and friends began to share the gospel, and God, we prayed for him, other people prayed for him, and he came back and recommitted his life to Christ. And there was a little church that opened up down the road. They were only running 15 or 20 people, hardly anybody there. And he felt God leading him to go do that. And so I started going to church over there a lot of times on Sunday night, and he, uh, he really encouraged my heart, listened to me a lot, really encouraged me. And um, through him, there was another guy who was an evangelist named Jesse that I got to hear in revival a few times. Well, then I go off to college, <clears throat> finish college, teach school, move over here, go to seminary, uh, work at a couple churches, come here. And we are looking for property. And most of you knew this story that on 17 years ago, this uh, Sunday, we started. We, uh, this is our birthday, by the way, 17 years old. Uh, but uh, I remember in 2005, we were desperately looking for property. Didn't have anywhere to go. Couldn't use the schools any longer. Desperately looking for property. And I happened to call a sign out here. And uh, the lady said, I asked her, what kind of property you have? She said, 360 acres, and we're not dividing it. I said, is there any way you would please consider that? She said, nope. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. I'm going to pray you change your mind. She laughed at me and said, my husband just happens to be over there. Go see. He's just over here, there for today just looking at the property, and then he'll come right back to Missouri. So he just happens to be here. He just happened to be standing in a field at that hour, at that time that I called. And so I drive over there, find him. Long story short, that, that, uh, that preacher, Jesse, was his favorite preacher. We start talking, and soon he goes, you know what? God told me to sell you whatever you want, and then he would later give us seven more acres before we did the deal. And that's how we got this property. So I go back to two men. One was Bobby. Bobby ended up leaving his church, leaving his wife, leaving his children, and I can't find him. I don't know where he is. He's gone and out, and who knows? He's, it's, sin has captured him, binded him, and I guess it's grinding him. I can't find him. Nobody knows where he is. But then there's Earl. Earl lived for about 10 more years, and he died. That church would go on and grow and make an impact. Matter of fact, one of his family members there is now pastoring that church. And I go back to that. When I drive by there, a lot of times I'll, I'll go by there and I'll think, you know what? Here was a guy who didn't have much. He had a really tiny church. He wasn't educated. He just said, yes to God, use me. I recognize I need you. And he took that little church of 20 and got it up to about 40 or 50 in the middle of nowhere, Louisiana, more Louisiana. Don't tell me you've heard of it because you haven't been there. Your car couldn't even drive on that road. All right, and they'd probably shoot you if they saw you. So you, you haven't been there, so don't, don't come up and tell me you know where that is because you don't. Uh, matter of fact, I'll, we'll do a little Cajun expression. If you don't know that, you're, you're, you're an you're imposter, okay? So with that said, um, I'm so thankful because his legacy, I'm here because Earl, Earl K. Hillman's faithfulness. Now, he doesn't know. He's in glory now. His family is in that church today because he decided to say yes to God to just a few people, to not much, where people would never know what it is, down an old dirt road that nobody went to in a new, dying community, and he said yes. And a snotty, snotty-nosed boy 
who was just trying to date his daughter, he took time to invest in, and through him, I meet someone else who knows somebody else whom God puts together to give us this property. You don't call that the sovereignty and providence of God? I don't know what it is. I say that to say, just like Earl, just like Bobby, just like you, just like me, today there are three people sitting in your seat. There's who you are today, right now. Number two, there's there who you're going to be if you continue on the trajectory you're on right now. If you continue to just live exactly like you are, there's who you'll be. But number three, there's who God wants you to be. There's who God is creating you to be if you will be faithful and trust him, if you will commit your whole heart to him and say, God, here I am, use me. If you want to use me with 20 people in the middle of Louisiana, I'll take it. God, if you want to use me in a preschool, in a children's, in a student ministry, if you want to use me in my neighborhood, if you want to use me, I'll do it. What person will leave this church from your seat today? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Thank you for your amazing grace that saved us, that saved a wrench like me and like so many others. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to invest in the kingdom, uh, not just through giving, but through giving to others, through uh, encouraging others to seek you, through sharing the gospel, through showing the gospel, through living the gospel. God, we thank you for the example of Samson, and I pray, Lord, that we would be found, found as faithful stewards, not to just keep doing what we've always done, but to say, God, I commit my life to you. Use me. Use me in my neighborhood. Use me at work. Use me at home. Use me in my social fears, God. I pray for these people, and God, I pray that you would use me, and I invest my time and my resources that I might be used by God for your glory. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen.